The Enneacast is sponsored in part by Your Enneagram Coach. Did you know you can learn how to walk people through the Enneagram and see their lives transform? All from the comfort of your own home while also making an excellent income. Find out how by going to yourenneagramcoach.com slash BEC. There you can become a certified coach and help others discover just who it is God made them to be. Again, that's yourenneagramcoach.com slash BEC. When I'm getting to that freak out place at the end of the night where I'm <laughs> in the wall and I'm so tired mm-hmm. and I still feel like latched on to everybody else's needs, he'll look at me and say, listen to me, you have permission to go and watch Parks and Recreation. Like, go, <laughs> you have permission. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good. The bad. And the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God. And everyone else. From Love Thy Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Enneacast. Hey, welcome to the Enneacast. I am Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram, and this season is all about story. And we're going to start off our type episodes in the Heart Triad by looking at the story of Type 2, commonly known as The Helper. All of our type episodes will be expanding on this content found in our workbook, Mapping Your Enneagram Story. So if you haven't yet listened to episode one of this season that walks you through this workbook and how to use it, I encourage you to do that first. Right. And to get a copy of the Mapping Your Enneagram Story workbook, go to mappingyourstory.com. You can listen to this season without it, but it's really going to make the content come alive and personalized for you in a way that just listening cannot. So I encourage you, head over to mappingyourstory.com and pick up your own workbook. Okay, before we dive in, let's do a quick refresher. Type 2, when they're healthy, they are caregiving, they're compassionate, they are nurturing, they're relationally oriented, they're generous, and they are not selfish. And when they're unhealthy, they tend to become people-pleasing, they have an unwavering need to be needed, they have an exaggerated need for validation, and they get angry when they don't get it. Twos can suppress their own desires and their own needs, and they can become intrusive and overprotecting. So this season, we're looking at how the Enneagram plus life story equals clarity. Uh, We really need both components to get the full picture. So let's explore the story for type two. Uh, So Sam, where does that story start? Well, it starts in their childhood. Um, The childhood theme of the type two is neglect and unfulfilled needs. So oftentimes we see children um, with either a parent who was an alcoholic who wasn't able to provide for them or a a sibling with special needs or they grew up in foster care. And so they, they grew up feeling neglected and having unfulfilled needs. Yeah. So their their childhood in many ways was about taking care of other people. Yeah, they grew up too quickly. Yeah. Um, they, they, there's a loss of childhood that kind of took place for the life of the two. Yeah, for sure. So if you have a copy of Mapping Your Enneagram Story, take some time to look through your life turns and take note if you see this theme of neglect or unfulfilled needs appear in any of the life turns that you mapped out. And so growing up with this theme leads the child to, to believe an unconscious message that it's not okay to have your own needs. 
Yeah, having needs feels selfish mm-hmm. uh, because type twos grew up in environments and in families where everyone else has so many needs that the the way that I love my family is going to be by not having needs and not adding more burden to other people. Their life is burdened enough. So I'm going to help. I'm going to take care of other people. And so literally having needs feels shameful yeah, it's for, a burden for many of for them. them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they want a good thing like we all do. And for the two, they they want to be loved and wanted. And that may sound universal. And it obviously is. We all want to be loved. We all want to be wanted. But for the two, there's a certain functionality that exists in the life of the two that they they're performing functions for their family or for their friends or for their loved ones. And so for them, they they really just want to be loved despite or instead of, you know, performing and doing duties for their their loved ones. So um, it's, this it's is, a love they don't have to earn. Yeah, it's it's not conditional. It's not contingent upon their actions or their inactions. So for the two to be loved and to be wanted, uh, it's a big deal. But here's the thing. All of this stuff that has happened in their childhood and the way that these, you know, these building blocks have happened inside of them, all of this stuff sets up a backstory. And this backstory sets the stage for the nurturing of our false self. So let's take a minute and talk about what that looks like and how our false self is nurtured. This really starts when the two begins to settle for something less than what they want. You know, we're all prone to settle for substitutes. And for the two, they want to be loved and wanted, but they settle for being indispensable. And and here's why. Being indispensable promises them two things. It promises them safety because uh, I have relational security. In other words, if, if I am indispensable, you can't get rid of me. Yeah, you guys need me. You need me. And so I know that I'm never going to be abandoned. I'm never going to be forgotten. And the second thing is that it provides a, a version of love because the two feels folks are say all the time saying, I'm so grateful for your generosity. I'm so grateful for the way that you take care of us. I'm so grateful for the way you sacrifice for us. And so all of that becomes a way for the two to begin to receive love. And because the two begins to believe that being indispensable will give them what they want, it actually becomes an idol. The two will easily devote themselves to needing to be needed at all costs and even be willing to go to great lengths in order to gain it. In fact, they begin to sacrifice three good things in order to please this idol of being indispensable. So what three things do they sacrifice? Yeah, okay. So first they sacrifice God's grace because grace is built around the idea that we have needs. Mm -hmm. In other words, God, I am a person that is in need. I come to you and in your grace, you extend to me the things that I need and you extend compassion and forgiveness and you give me your goodness. All that stuff requires having needs. If you don't have needs, you don't need grace. Mm -hmm. Um, The second thing is that they sacrifice asking for what they need because if you're indispensable, having needs is a liability. Uh, It becomes a real danger and a threat to a relationship. Twos learn, don't ask ask for what I need. Mm -hmm. And then third... They sacrifice receiving without having to pay back. The ability just to receive a gift and the gift has no strings attached. Well, the the two has to give that up to their idol of being indispensable. And this becomes a real problem in relationships, too, is if you're never willing to ask for what you need, then you're not having mutual relationships. You're only all of your relationships are one sided. Your friends and your loved ones can't care for you. And so yeah. in this pursuit of being indispensable and this cycle of sacrificing to this idol, this, too, creates the perfect conditions to grow the deadly sin. And for twos, their deadly sin is pride. And then how is pride nurtured? 
Yeah, it's nurtured through abundant compliments. And so it changes the way that they relate and converse with other people. So it's uh, very flattering, very one-sided, very, you know, people-pleasing. It's through over-accommodations. It's, you know, the lack of boundaries that we sometimes talk about with it's who struggle with. Um, They just accommodate, accommodate, accommodate for people. Um, They're willing to make personal sacrifices. And that might sound not like a bad thing, but for the two, it it becomes they're sacrificing meals um, to work extra hard for somebody. They're sacrificing time with, with family to, to stay late at work or, you know, it's it's sacrificing things that are important for the life of the two. Well, and of course, like when we make sacrifices for things, we're like, especially we're like, look how humble I am. Like, right. you know, which actually, I mean, literally the way I just said that, look how humble I am. Like <laughs> that's literally, that's pride. Yeah. 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 And then the last one is helpful deeds. And so they're just willing to serve and to do helpful things for others with the hope that maybe if I just do all these things and become indispensable, that I'll feel loved and wanted. So again, if you have mapping your Enneagram story, take a look at your emotional map and notice some of your dominant emotions. Can you see pride attached to any of these? And if you're like, I don't have any pride, you may need to do some more work because often our pride is growing unnoticed. It's outside of our awareness. And that's because sin is adaptable and it learns how to defend itself And the two's defense of their sin is through their psychological defense mechanism known as repression. And repression says, other people are needy, I am not needy. So personal needs, wants, desires, all of that stuff gets repressed. And actually what ends up happening is that their own needs get repressed, but actually they project their their own needs onto other people. So if the two feels anxious, they'll say, I don't feel anxious you look like you feel anxious. Mm. Let me take care of you. And it's a way for the two actually to attempt to, to meet their own needs. Um, and all of that is through repression. In other words, the two begins to say to themselves, my selflessness justifies my pride. Yeah, there's a way that all of us, regardless of our type, our deadly sin, what makes it so deadly is that it doesn't truly feel like sin. It actually feels very justifiable. And and so, yeah, so for the, for the type two who says, my selflessness justifies my pride, that's why the pride doesn't feel like pride. No, it's, it actually it's feels, false humility. Yeah, it feels yeah. like warm and inviting and familiar and comfortable. And again, that's why it's a deadly sin. Hmm. So where does this leave the two then? It leaves them feeling prideful, whether they're willing to, you know, see that or whether they have the capacity to to notice that it leaves them feeling ashamed so twos are in the heart triad and the primary emotion is shame so it leaves them feeling a sense of shame and it leaves them codependent to be honest yeah i need other people to need me so yeah what started as a good desire remembered that to be loved and to be wanted has now become horribly just destroyed so there's a moment in everyone's story where they encounter jesus So let's explore for the type two what their encounter with Jesus looks like. We come to Jesus and in Jesus, we see the true helper. So we see in Jesus the pure manifestation of everything that the twos have strived for and longed to become. I think of uh, anytime he's dealing with children, he's always very nurturing. Um, I think of... Anytime he's dealing with women, he's very, you know, he has this advocacy component to him. And then I think about the disciples and how patient he is with them and how willing he is to to teach them over and over and how he befriends them and he likes them. He doesn't just, you know, put up with them. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And I think, too, about he's always changing his agenda because Mm -hmm. there's somebody in need that's been, you know, that's in front of him and he's moved with compassion, you know, to change his agenda to care for them. 
And it's a, it's a real testament to the reality that, you know, these gifts of compassion and helping and generosity, those are godly things. So in order for anyone in life to really have our trust, they need to do two things for us. They need to empathize with us, but then they also need to show us their authority. Why should we be listening to this person? And in Jesus, what we see is that he empathizes with our wounds. And for the twos, this is what I encourage the twos to hear this. Jesus's needs were ignored by others who always wanted more from him. Like that's your Mm. wound. Like Mm -hmm. Jesus meets you in that wound and offers you his empathy. So when you say, gosh, I wish someone just understood the pain that I've gone through and this ache inside of me, Jesus says, I do. I feel that. Um, Your wounds are the same wounds as Jesus. Okay, so he empathizes with us. Mm And then he goes on and he shows us his authority. So how does he do that? Yeah. So he affirms our true self. For the two, Matthew 20, 28 says, I have not come to be served, but to serve. And I think this is a really applicable verse for twos because they want to serve others. And that is a good and godly gift that you're displaying when you do that. So it's not a bad thing to have a desire and a gift to serve. Jesus echoes that in Matthew. Um, but he doesn't just affirm the true self. That's, you know, what I love about the Enneagram. It doesn't just tell us our strengths. It also gets at our weaknesses. And so Jesus confronts our false self. Uh, he allowed himself to be served. In John 12, 1 through 8, we see um, the story of the woman anointing Jesus's feet. So he allows himself to be served. He had humility in that moment. Yeah. So he obviously upholds, you know, the good side, you know, but he I love that he confronts our false self. Like Mm -hmm. that's love. Love is I'm I'm not going to let you have less than whole and full life. So the question is this, like how how did he do all these things? Like how did he uphold all of this goodness and without any false self showing up, any, you know, evil motives? And I think the way that he did this is that he believed the father and the father bestowed over Jesus the message, you are loved and wanted. And Jesus believed him. But here's the thing. That's how Jesus lived into his true self was by believing the Father. But then type twos, Jesus turns to you and now he is saying to you, you are loved and wanted. In Jesus, you find the very longing of your heart. You find that finally somebody loves me where I don't have to earn it, I don't have to work for it, I don't have to manipulate it. I'm treasured simply because Jesus says that I am. Uh, Matthew seven eleven says, If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And through his gospel, the Holy Spirit is able to work into the two what they originally wanted. And one of the ways he does this often is through the virtue of humility. And two, this isn't the false humility that we were talking about earlier. It's a true acknowledgement of I have needs. I need help. I rely on God. I have my own desires here. It's good to receive. And God is present with me. Yeah. It is to live as a dependent child. Yeah. yeah and to know that, that God intentionally made me dependent. And if I don't go to God for my own needs, then I'm pouring myself out at the expense of others. And I'm, and I'm an empty cup after a while. Got, yeah. Twos need to be filled before they can pour themselves out. Yeah. Being dependent is a good thing. Yeah. And here's the great thing is that as we step into these particular virtues, there's these really wonderful side effects that happen. And the great thing is that as a two begins to practice humility, the other gift that comes into their life is actually pure, unconditional love. Mm-hmm. They begin to experience love, not just in the relationship with God, but with other people as well. And they go, oh, my gosh, people love me 
just because they love me and I don't have to earn it. And then, of course, that's going to help them love other people better because it's not a codependent love, but it's a really it's a love that doesn't have strings attached. And it's a love that has boundaries and it's a love that's realistic and a love that's sober. So they actually become greater and better helpers by being more humble and then beginning to experience love in their own life as well. Again, refer to mapping your Enneagram story here. Uh, Look at your timeline. Do you see humility growing through any of your life turns? It's okay if you don't. You know, virtues, they take time to grow. So ask the Holy Spirit to help grow humility in you. And if you do see it, well, then, you know, praise the Lord. He's making you just more complete in him. And as the two continues to walk with God and be transformed, instead of reflecting a prideful and codependent spirit, their true self actually starts to reflect more and more of God's character. And what the type two is ever increasingly reflecting back to the world is God's unconditional love and care. And, you know, this story, it's not just for type twos. You know, there's an invitation for all of us here, and that's to care for ourselves and others more completely and more correctly. And so, you know, whether or not we have high two in our story or high twos in our scores, I think that the invitation is to care for ourselves because healthy twos have healthy boundaries and then uh, to care for others because that's the gift of the two. Yeah, the gift of generosity and compassion to other people and ourselves, like that is something that God wants all people, you know, to be able to cultivate in their life. Well, type twos, that is your Enneagram story. Okay, when we come back, we're going to be talking with author and podcaster Lisa Jo Baker. Stay with us. The Enneacast is brought to you by Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood offers social justice internships supported by Christian community for young adults, just like Josh Smith from Indiana. Uh, Serving in the homeless shelter in downtown Louisville, I learned a lot about how God uses us in our story and in our upbringing and how He is continually growing us, continually shaping us into who He created us to be. Ready to see how Love Thy Neighborhood could impact your life? Learn more and apply at lovethyneighborhood.org. Hey, welcome back to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Our guest today is Lisa Jo Baker. Lisa Jo is a best-selling author, speaker, and writer. She's also the co-host of Out of the Ordinary, a podcast that explores the surprising ways cultivating an ordinary life leads to extraordinary stories. She lives with her husband and three kids just outside the Washington, D.C. area, and she is a two on the Enneagram. Welcome to the show, Lisa Jo. Thank you so much. Listening to your teaching, I realize I am not just a two, I am a textbook two. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. That's perfect. Yeah. Uh, that's going to be really uh, a help to our listeners. Yeah. So that's perfect. And it means well, that we're experts. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I took away from I mean, that. I think you are. I took notes when I was listening. I kid you not, two pages. Wow. Oh, man. Wow. Uh, pressure's on, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, uh, let's start here. You know, Tell us a little bit about yourself, especially as it relates to the role that the Enneagram has played in your life and your work. I'll just say I'm a latecomer to the Enneagram. I wish I had known about it much earlier. I think a lot of my life could have made a lot more sense quicker if I had had that as a tool. But really, for me, it's only been the last maybe three years, and I'm 45. So the last three years of my life that I got introduced to Enneagram And it helped me start to understand a lot of these different phases of who I am as a person, 
who I am now. You know, I had done the the Myers-Briggs, you know, before over the years. Personality tests had always been interesting. But when I read the types, I, I mean, at that experience, everybody has. I felt like, how do they know these things about me? Like, yeah. How is this true? Are there Were there any traits of the type two that especially really struck you and stuck out? Yes. Um, the childhood wounding. I don't know how you guys want to approach the conversation, but for me, that was a bullseye. Mm. Just even listening to what you guys described in your teaching, that's a big part of my story. But then in some ways, I am a little bit atypical in the language I use to describe myself because I haven't always felt drawn to wanting to meet the needs of others as a it can sound positive. I've experienced a much more negative take on that, like feeling enslaved to the needs of others is how mm. I describe mm. myself. So reading about the two gave me language to understand those experiences. Well, you mentioned childhood wound. If it's okay, can we can we talk about that for a second? Yeah, sure. I mean, I was taking notes like you talked about. What did you say? Often they have, you know, absent parent yeah. or they feel like they have to earn yeah. approval or love or that their own needs can't possibly be met. So I was just like checking off down the list. So my mom contracted cancer when I was 16 and was out of the house then for two years at a hospital about 45 minutes from where we lived. And when I turned 18, she died. Wow. So I grew up with an absent and then completely gone mother, mm. a father who was a workaholic and also was emotionally really unstable. So a large part of my job from really young was to make sure my dad didn't get mad at people. And the way you did that was my meeting all of his needs. Mm. And so there really isn't room then to have your own needs in that context. So I always saw my role as the person who was there to make sure dad had everything he needed, everybody else had everything they needed so they didn't bug him. So from 16, I was making all the dinner and doing the grocery shopping and taking care of my brothers and calling their teachers because they were had homework assignments they didn't understand. Like that just became my de facto job. I never even remember a conversation in which my dad asked me, how do you feel? What can I do to help you? Like nothing. So I remember I'd, in my 40s looking back and thinking, oh, and now I'm a mom too. Like when will, when does my turn come? Like when will someone take care of me? And I didn't realize until I started the studying the Enneagram that that language, just even that phrase, like when will someone take care of me, can make me want to cry because it, it feels like this big black hole that never got filled. Yeah, it almost mm. seems like a need of survival, like a means of survival as well. Like it doesn't even, it feels almost from a, a place of desperation and, and longing to have me time. And it's hard because, you know, we all tend to approach life thinking the way we see it is the norm, right? Like this is how everybody sees it. So I wouldn't understand how is my husband able to relax when there are all these unmet needs in the kitchen with the kids? Like, how is he able to find peace? Because I can't find peace until all these things are checked off the list. But I was so surprised that he felt like he could just he was so enabled to just be done. And so he and I now have developed code language where he will tell me when I'm getting to that freak out place at the end of the night where I'm <laughs> in the wall and I'm so tired mm -hmm. and I still feel like latched on to everybody else's needs. He'll look at me and say, listen to me, you have permission to go and watch Parks and Recreation. Like, go, <laughs> you have permission. And of yeah. course, I don't need his permission, but there's something about that word that's a trigger for me. And I realize, oh, oh, okay. And I'm able to detach then 
from the cycle I've been caught up in of just repeating old patterns. Yeah. I mean, the, so in Enneagram 3, the 2 takes on a lot of the traits of the 8 under stress. And, you know, so the running joke on our, we have a, a resident 2 on our staff, and she, her running joke is that she's like the Hulk, you know, that where he says, like, uh, Bruce Banner says, that's my secret, I'm always angry. Mm. And uh, Yes. Oh, wow. It, yeah. And, and she's like, that's me. She's like, it's wow. always there. It's just I sometimes open it up a little more than other times. Man, I have never heard that description of it too, but that resonates deeply with me. Yeah. Yeah. There tends to be that constant underlying sense of, because you're keeping score the whole time too, as a two. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the day, especially with children, right, where it's the score is so unfair, that's how twos think of these things. I did these things for you. It's your turn to do these things for me. And if nobody's done anything, <laughs> then mommy goes crazy and like mm-hmm. starts pointing out all the things nobody has done all day long. Yeah, it can be hard and it can lead to a lot of pride in the two. So can you talk a little bit about where pride shows up in your life? So I had not understood this before. I have I had not understood how pride played in. I had really struggled to make sense of it until I was talking to someone And I was describing to them how social media makes me feel as a two. Because if your children have needs that you can't meet, then social media is like needs on crack, right? Because it's essentially a constant tsunami of attention people want or things they're trying to sell you or comments to reply to or someone who's upset about. I mean, like hundreds and thousands of people on a daily basis who essentially want something from you. And I told this person, a counselor I was talking to about this saying, I had to eventually just get off social media altogether because it was so overwhelming to me how impossible it was to reply to everybody. And I just constantly felt guilty and worn out by it and resentful, like angry <laughs> at Instagram. Yeah, or, yeah. Like even kind comments, because now I feel I have to, now it's on my to-do list to reply to this person. And he said to me, that is the pride of the two. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, the fact that you believe you are in fact capable of replying to all those people. And it was so mind-blowing to me. He said, as a four, it would never occur to him to even try to reply to all of those people. How could he? It's not his job. It's not for him to do. And I said to him, but why are you on social media then? It's called social media. Aren't we supposed to react and interact with everybody? And he said, no, only a two would think that that's even possible. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a good, like, that's such a good descriptor of where pride shows up for the life of a two. Yeah, because we tend to think of pride as making more of yourself, but instead he helped me understand it's sometimes it's thinking more of what you're capable of. And so it's impossible to respond to all the needs of social media. And it's prideful to assume that you, through sheer force of will, can do it. And humility is recognizing it's not your job to do that in the first place. Mm -hmm. Well, let me let me switch gears a little bit. Um, one of the things that we're exploring this season is this idea that God sees each of us uniquely as we are, and that just as a parent loves each of his children in unique ways uh, and communicates with them in unique ways, God comes to the type two and bestows a message over them. And the message that God bestows over type twos is, you are loved and you are wanted. You know, what what part of that message resonates with you? I think it's the period at the end of the sentence, right? You are loved and you are wanted, period. 
not because of what you do or how you smart you are or how helpful or how kind or how you don't forget to pick up toilet paper. Like none of those things. It's the period that does it for me. It's so moving. Um, I can get choked up just thinking that that is how Jesus feels about me. And I think um, for me, the real epiphany came when I became a parent for the first time. You know, I grew up in the church my whole life. I've heard statements like that about God. He doesn't want anything from you. He just loves you, blah, 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 church speak, right? And then you have children and you realize, oh, I just love them because they are, not because of what they do. So that has helped me understand how God sees me. He loves me because I am, not because of what I do. Yeah, it's unearned. Yeah, yeah. And that you can't spoil it, you can't ruin it, you can't be too bad or too good to change that barometer. It just is. Yeah, yeah. And that it's not conditional. Because yes. my my relationship with my dad was was deeply conditional, deeply. Like his love was conditional upon my you name it, whatever was, whatever set his mood that day, how I could talk him down from a temper, how I could perform on the athletic track. Um, there was always something that was the reason why he loved me because his love would be framed that way. Like, I'm so proud of you because of X, Y, Z, or I love that you did this. It was a long, many years of his own <laughs> progress in his journey before he, he now expresses his love because I'm his daughter, not because I'm his daughter who does X, Y, Z. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's that's the message that choose long for. So we um, we talked about pride. Now I want to, to touch on humility. Um, so where have you seen humility grow as a result of believing God's message to you? Because it's our conviction that out of the gospel truth that we are loved and wanted, that we can start living in with the Holy Spirit's help in, in that virtuous way. So for the two, obviously, it's humility. So where where does kind of humility resonate and show up for you? Yeah, it's tied a little bit to what I've said, this understanding of learning what is your job and what is not your job, what you are capable of and what you are not. But the thing about it, too, like the other thing my pride says is if I don't do it, it's not going to get done well, which I know bleeds into some of the other types. But for two, it can be this idea of like, there's this need, um, I'm going to go do it. And so recently, actually, my podcast co-host Christy and I launched an online care package is what we call it, but we have a team that are launching it all together. And I remember the night before launch, I came up with this new idea, this extra thing, this bonus I wanted to add. And I ran it by the team, expecting everyone would say like a two would, yes, let's drop everything else we're doing in our lives and our families on a Friday night and move heaven and earth to make this thing happen. And instead, I was so surprised. They all messaged me back. Oh, you know what? I don't have time for that. Or I'm already committed tonight. If you want to do it, you can, but I can't. And I was like astonished that they were saying no to something that seemed like an essential need and that they felt complete peace about that. And I realized in that moment, oh, I don't have to change my entire weekend either to make this last minute thing happen. We can just let it go. That was for me an experience of humility, of leaning into the community I was with and learning from them that we don't actually have to prioritize non-essentials over essentials. And in this case, this fun thing I wanted to add, it wasn't essential, but I had spent so much of my life basically rearranging myself around anything that felt like a crisis or an emergency 
that it was so liberating for them to just say, no, pass, like <laughs> you mm-hmm, can do it if you mm-hmm. want. And then I told my husband, I'm so proud of myself. I told them, you know what? I wasn't planning to do that this weekend either. I, I don't think I want to. <laughs> and so we didn't. Ah, that's so good. That's so good. Uh, let me ask you one last question. What is one thing that you would want to say to a younger type two who may be listening? I'm glad you asked me this because I wanted to say this. We use this word for two as a helper, right? You guys used it in your short teaching too. And I think it's a limiting word, helper, servant. The word I've really loved that I think of Jesus as one of his deepest characteristics is the word friend. And I know that um, Beatrice Chestnut in her book, when she talks about twos, she calls the two the befriender. And it has resonated so deeply with me because it is what Jesus did. He moved into the neighborhood to come and be our friend here on earth. And so I would love to encourage the younger two to think of yourself that way, that that is really your superpower, this ability to be the kind of friend you wish you had to other people. And yet at the same time, how that kind of friendship needs to be really careful how it walks. When we think about friendship, the kind of friend Christ was... That's the kind of friend everybody wants, but those friends also have really good boundaries. And I love that about Jesus. He constantly had people who had needs that he chose not to meet. And so like one of my theme verses as a two is from Mark chapter six, verse 31. And interestingly enough, this happens right before Jesus feeds the 5,000. So you've got all these crowds, they're following him around everywhere. They all have bottomless needs. And then this is the sentence you get, then... Because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. Okay, does that describe every two in the world? Like I'm busy meeting everybody's needs, don't even have time to take a break, cannot rest. Okay, did not even have a chance to eat. Jesus says to them in the midst of this, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. I mean, if that isn't the theme verse for every two to lean into, like Jesus was the kind of friend who said, even when there are all these needs, there is still, it's still okay to say no and to refuel yourself. So to my younger two friends, I just encourage you to lean into Christ's definition of friendship and to let him be that kind of friend to you. Mm, That's beautiful. Mm, That's that's really good. Well, uh, this has been a good conversation and uh, full of a lot of wisdom. I think we now need to let the more idiotic side of our personalities <laughs> out. Uh, and so when we come back, we'll be playing Pick Your Poison with Lisa Joe Baker. So stay with us. In today's episode of the Enneacast, we're exploring the story of type number two. They enjoy taking care of people and helping people that are in need. But sometimes when we help folks, it doesn't go the way that we thought it was going to. Check out our other podcast, the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. And specifically, check out episode number 22, where the gospel meets immigration. Christians say we should care for immigrants. He came up to me and he said, hi, I'm I'm Clarence. So no bone for you. I started crying. Doesn't ICE have, like, bigger things to do than to deal with, like, a worship leader from a church? He's trying to follow all the rules. And if they can't find another status to move into, they'll have to leave. You can listen to the Love That Neighborhood podcast by listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. Or by heading over to lovethatneighborhood.org slash LTN podcast. 
Again, lovethatneighborhood.org slash LTN podcast. Hey, welcome back to the Anycast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. And now it's time for Pick Your Poison. Okay, so our game today is called Pick Your Poison. This is a real game by the company Player 10. You can find it by going to player10.com. Here's how it works. Uh, Lisa, Joe, I'm going to give you two scenarios, scenario A and scenario B. You have to pick one of the scenarios. No, sort of like, this is what my children make me do this game all the time. It's terrible. I'm always trying to reject or offer a scenario three. Um, yeah, well, no, sorry. Welcome, welcome to your poison. Uh, <laughs> no. uh, so this is sort of like a would you rather. But, but here's the catch. Before you give us your answer, Sam and I are going to try to predict which scenario we think that you'll choose, whether A or B. Oh, very interesting. So what I'll do, I'm going to read you the scenarios. Sam and I will each pick what we think you'll choose, and then you'll reveal your actual answer. If one of us matches your answer, that person gets a point. If we have a round where one of us is so confident in what your answer will be, then we can play our double down card, and then those will give us two points if we guess right. But if we guess wrong, we lose two points. So uh, you guys ready? All right, this will be fun. Let's do it. I'm ready to win. Sen- whatever. You're going <laughs> to lose. Okay, here we go. Scenario A, have an incurable case of the hiccups. Oh. Or scenario B, have an incurable case of pink eye. Oh. <laughs> oh. Wow. Um, Those both are terrible. Yeah, these are bad. Um, you, She has a podcast. She can't. Do the hiccups. I know the hiccups thing. What are you going to edit that out? That's a lot of editing. A lot of editing. It's hard because I could only go with based off of what I would choose. And I think I would choose the hiccups because I think pink eye is just like grosser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. Like it's also less troublesome. So. Yeah. What do you, I'm going to let you go. No, no, <laughs> wait, pick, wait, no, you can't not in this thing. No, <laughs> no, no you got to answer. <laughs> okay. Well, you're going opposite. Okay. Well, then in that case, uh, I think she. I think she would choose hiccups. And that's the same thing you said. Pink eye is just gross, man. You guys are so right. Pink eye is so gross. I would definitely choose A, hiccups. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I lost because I had to go B. No, you yeah. said but you said right. You said hiccups. I said it. I, I said. No, she was hedging her bets. I, I was. I, <laughs> was I, attempt, refused, I refused to choose. She was doing I, the nine <laughs> thing where she was being vague so that she could sort of have all the answers <laughs> no, at the same time. No, everything I refused to choose. Damn, I, made Jessie, I was tracking yeah. with. Okay. Yeah. Her, should have, I should have stuck with my gut. Your, your Jedi nine stuff doesn't work on me. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. I'm like, you didn't pick an answer. Uh, okay, so wait. So I you have one point, and I have zero points. You have zero points. Yeah, that's what you get for trying to cheat with your nineness. <laughs> okay, uh, scenario A. So uh, round three, scenario A. Eat every meal alone. Oh, every meal. Oh, wow. Yeah, for the rest of her life. <laughs> Eat every meal alone. Scenario B. Fight an ostrich to the death. Wait to the ostrich's death. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my word! Uh, I'll go first on this one. Okay. I think she's gonna kill that ostrich. I, th- I think, like, I think the first few meals she'd be like, "I love the fact that I get to eat alone and no one's interrupting me," but I think it would get old fast. 
On the other hand, I think she would momentarily feel a little guilty about strangling that ostrich to death. I think she'd get over it. So I'm going with that. And in fact, I'm going to double down. You're so I'm doubling confident down. in that Yeah, answer. that ostrich is dead. Gosh, I often eat alone. It sometimes is great. It sometimes is terrible. <laughs> I'm trying is, to what think. Is, what is going on in your mind right now? I'm trying to think of like putting myself in her shoes of like, could I eat alone for the rest of my life? And that. I don't think I could do it. I, I think I have to agree with you. Like, you can never go out to dinner with somebody. Mm-hmm. You can never have a family dinner. You right. can never have fa- Thanksgiving. Right. But there's only one ostrich. <laughs> <laughs> it's not fight an ostrich every day for the rest of your life. It's only one time. Uh, so I think I have to agree. I'm not going to double down, but I do agree. Okay. So, Lisa Joe, what is it? You know, I'm from South Africa originally, so I have some experience with ostriches. Oh, that's right. I don't know if you know that their kick is so dangerous. Like, they can actually rip into your skin with their toenail and, like, completely rip out your guts is how they kick. They actually kick Oh, this this has got a lot more interesting. (laughs) They don't kick backwards like a horse or a donkey. They kick forward. It's really weird. But then they're, they're also incredibly fast. In South Africa, they race ostriches. You can ride them. And then their beak is really really, really dangerous too. All that said, um, I would still choose to fight that ostrich rather yeah. than eat every meal alone for the rest of yeah. my life. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I love how much you just knew about ostriches. <laughs> that is awesome. Uh, okay, so I'm, uh, I got three points. You got one point, Sam. You, yep. gotta, you better figure this out. I'm going to double you're, down at some you're point. Slipping. Yeah. Okay, uh, scenario A. Answer every call from a telemarketer and engage in conversation with them until they hang up. Oh, no. Until they hang up. Scenario B, dress like you did in middle school for the rest of your life. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Those are so great. It's hard. I don't know what... uh... I think based on you, you had a reaction whenever he read the first card, Lisa Joe. You were like, "Oh no, that sounds terrible." But I think that in light of dressing like a middle schooler, I went to middle school in like 2006, so middle, fashion back then was not great. So I'm trying to think, like, I don't think I could do that. So I think I'm going to go the telemarketer one. A. You're going telemarketer. Yeah. I actually genuinely disagree. Okay. I think she would rather. Every she has to answer the phone if it's telemarketer and she has to let them talk until they hang up. Like, I think she would much rather dress like she did at middle school. I don't even know what that is, but I bet she's going for that one. Okay, so, so Lisa Joe. Yes, I mean, literally, the idea of talking to a telemarketer <laughs> is like hell. If you put me in hell and we're like, sit by this phone and answer it and then talk till they hang up, that would be, I would come to Jesus if I hadn't just in order to escape. That. <laughs> That's funny. So confident. Uh, okay, so wh- where are we? I've got four. It's four to I've one. I've got four and you've got one. Yeah. Sam, I have one. I'll make a little already. offer to you. Okay. Final round, winner takes all. Wow. Unless, I don't know what I'm reading though, so if we (laughs) give the same answer, we both just win, I guess. We both win. Here we go. Round five, scenario A, never be able to touch another person again. Or scenario B, never speak to the last person you texted ever again. So I don't know who she texted. I don't either. Oh no, that's a bit heartbreaking. Yeah. I don't either. If she had te- both of them, those are both terrible. 
I know we don't want to reference the coronavirus on this season, but we're already kind of in scenario A. (laughs) 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 Um, Just we're getting good practice at social distancing. So Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, cool. We're all in our own rooms. So we're basically saying like lose all physical contact. Yeah, but that would be hard. Or whoever she texted last, she has to live as though that person is no longer alive. Wow. No, because you said never speak to them again. There are many other ways you can communicate, sure. Oh, she just showed us our, car- our cards. <laughs> oh, no. Am I, no, I feel like I want to understand the rules correctly never sp- of this question. Yeah, I guess it is. You would be able to sure, write You could letter. write them letters or text or whatever, but you cannot have a conversation with that person Do you have your again. phone handy? Can we know who the last no, person is? No, you can't ask I that. do, oh. and that makes it more interesting. Okay. <laughs> But I'm not going to tell you the person, though, until I answer the question, I feel like. Or do you want me to tell you now? No, no, no. I can tell no, you. No, no, no. no which is better. Sam I can do either. Sam will just use it to, <laughs> to buy think some time. Through, yeah. All right, Sam. Scenario A or B? I think that no human contact thing is going to be unbearable. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go scenario B. So you're going? That she could she could find a way to communicate that's just not speaking. So you think she'll choose scenario B? Yeah, whoever the last person is. I agree. I agree. <laughs> so either we both win or we both lose. <laughs> or we both... Or... You are both right. Yeah. So really? who is the person? Uh, so I, my friend, Anne Voskamp. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so now I'm going to have to explain this to her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. I just told her I have to go because I have a podcast interview. Then when I come back, I'm going to be like, so dude, guess what? We can never speak again. <laughs> yes, yeah. Tell her we're so sorry. You can text so and write letters. You just can't speak. There's no spoken word between the two of you anymore. That's very hard to imagine. So I'm very glad this is not real life. (laughs) (laughs) Well, tell her we're sorry. I will. (laughs) Um, All right. So, uh, Sam. So we've tied. In light of of my fifth round point system. High five. We both won. Congratulations. Yeah, you're both winners. We're both winners. Sam Sam chose the right one when it really came down to it. Yep. Yeah. So we're both winners. I'm just more of a winner. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so now it's time for listener questions. So this question comes from Jenna underscore Shaw. Do twos tend to have a poverty mindset? A mindset that life is full of scarcity. What does that mean, scarcity? Like, in in regards to what? There's only so much to go around. There's limited money. There's limited time. There's limited food. Like in everything? Or is it just like there's limited attention or limited um, affirmation? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Yeah. Like, it's hard to imagine that a two actually thinks that the world, that there's a scarcity mindset. To me, I feel like it... If you're putting it in a two context, it has more to do with like there's limited love, there's limited attention, there's limited praise. And I think, yes, I think we do struggle with it. Like I would say, yes, you know, even like sometimes with my kids, like if my husband was like joking around having such fun with the kids, then I'll be like, well, you haven't hugged me like that mm-hmm, today. Or mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I think we tend to keep score in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I have a friend who describes like love in terms of like a pie chart and if i give a certain portion of my love to someone else then that means that there's less for her Mm. and so she kind of sees her relationships in terms of like if you're giving that away 
you know, similar to like what you said, you know, about your husband, like if, if he's loving the kids, then he can't love you that well. Like, right. So that's why scarcity makes sense to me in a relational view, but I don't think twos and the question about scarcity, like to do with world resources. I don't know that that's an Enneagram. <laughs> yeah. I think it's more emotional scarcity. Yeah. Yes. Then I would say, yes, I think we do. Okay. This question is anonymous. Is it bad for me to tell my type two friends that I love what they do for me? I don't want them to think that I only love them for what they do, but I genuinely do appreciate their acts of service. This is from someone who's not a two. Yes. Yeah. I don't know why that would be bad. We twos love to be told that we did an awesome thing for someone. It's better if you do it back. Like the best way to love a two is to do something back for them, not just to say it. Yeah. One of the things that I always try to do with the twos in my life is I always try to say two things. Hey, I'm really, really thankful. Thank you so much for this thing. And I try to be specific about it. But then I also try to periodically appropriately say like, hey, I just want you to know I appreciate you. Like I'm grateful for all the stuff you do and it's awesome and it makes a huge difference in my life. But I also just want you to know I I really like you and I'm really grateful for you. But I would add a third thing. I would tell it too in your life. Hey, I'm at the store. I'm doing drive through McDonald's, picking up a McFlurry. Can I grab you one? Like twos love to have other people anticipate and meet their needs. Like Mm. that is like crack cocaine. So (laughs) in your lives of two friends, I wouldn't just tell them that they met your need well or tell them you love them. I would then take it the deeper step and find a need of theirs you can meet first. Mm, That's really good. Yes, that is good advice. Mm -hmm. That is really good. Well, Lisa Joe, it's been awesome having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. So fun from pink eye to ostriches. (laughs) It's been very, very exciting. Yeah, I'm never going to get the image out of you just like choking out an ostrich. Yeah. It's going to be in my mind forever. Well, thanks to our special guest today, Lisa Jo Baker. Her most recent book is called The Middle Matters. It reflects on the season of midlife. You can find all of her books as well as her podcast, Out of the Ordinary, by going to lisajobaker.com. That's lisajobaker.com. As always, thanks to our friends at Crosspoint Ministry who trained us in the Enneagram. You can learn more about their work at crosspointministry.com. Our show is a production of Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood provides social action internships supported by Christian community for young adults ages 18 to 30. Come serve with us for a summer or a year. Grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. Today's episode was produced by myself, Sam Stevenson, and Rachel Zabo. Engineering and editing by The Rachel Zabo. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX. I'm Sam Stevenson. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community.